Welcome to the Journal.ie's general election podcast, The Candidate. We're sitting down with each party leader to put your questions to them to help you decide who to vote for this Saturday. Today, we're talking to Taoiseach Leo Varadkar. Well, Taoiseach, you're very welcome to the Journal.ie offices. You're fresh from the debate last night. Um, the gloves seem to be off with that John Delaney comment towards Hall Martin. Um, how did you think it went? I think it went uh, quite well. You know, definitely the feedback from uh, our supporters is very positive. Um, and just looking at the different media outlets, uh, it seems that a lot of them have called it in my favour. So, you know, it was an opportunity to uh, defend our record in government, an opportunity to set out what we want to do over the next five years, um, particularly around putting money back in people's pockets and uh, the next phase of Brexit and focusing on reforms in housing and health and childcare and uh, as well as that an opportunity to um, uh, poke some holes in the uh, empty promises and flaws of the opposition and I'm sure they, they feel the same way too. Well, the word that came up a lot throughout that debate was change. And I think a few people were saying there'd be a, a few memes or mashups with the amount of times that was said. But it, the point was put to you that perhaps isn't that the issue, perhaps with Fine Gael, with this um, general election, that there isn't an awfully lot new promised in your, your manifesto. I think the word continue and the word we will continue is featured over 165 times in the Fine Gael manifesto. So isn't that perhaps the crux of the issue? People aren't seeing enough promises of change, enough promises of hope. Mm. Well, I think there actually is is a lot new in it, and I'll touch on that in a second. Um but as I said last night, you know, this is going to be a change election. The next government is going to be different. Uh, it's not going to be Fine Gael, Independent Alliance, supported by Fianna Fáil. So we just need to make sure that the change that we make in this election is change for the better. And there's a lot of promises in the Sinn Féin manifesto, um, but they're not credible. Uh, you know, no USC, no property tax, no carbon tax, everything for free and loads of increased spending, uh, all funded by massive uh, tax increases on business and employers, um, like that's not going to work. You know, we'll lose jobs and lose business and then there'll be no revenues and everyone will be worse off as a result. Um, and then Fianna Fáil's manifesto uh, is full of holes, you know, had to admit themselves that uh, there were typos in their housing policy and uh, Michael Martin had to admit that somebody else signed up to the manifesto and he hadn't read it. And, you know, so there's a lot of flaws in the other ones. But in terms of what's in ours and um, you know, we're really talking about change for the better. And I believe Fine Gael in government and me as Taoiseach have led change, uh, social change with the referendums, economic change going from mass unemployment to full employment, leading the country to the big change that is Brexit, Slauncha Care, Garda reform, um, our climate action plan, Project Ireland 2040, all the new houses and roads and schools being built, that is all change. And uh, I want to continue to drive forward that change. And the kind of things you see in our manifesto, obviously there's the tax plan, the fair tax plan for middle-income people. Uh, we're the only ones who seem to understand that people earning, you know, 39, 40, 50 grand a year aren't rich uh, and actually need help uh, with the cost of living. Um, we're the most ambitious on childcare which is a huge issue for parents. Um, it's costs as much as the rent or the mortgage and everyone's promising things, but we have a good record there. And uh, I think we have the most ambitious plans uh, on childcare. Um, on health, yes, everyone has the same plan, which is the Sancha Care plan, but we're adequately funding it, um, unlike Fianna Fáil. Uh, and on housing, I think we've got it right in terms of how we're going to help uh, first-time buyers. We know the Help to Buy scheme works. Uh, we want to make it better. Um, Sinn Féin wants to abolish it. And Fianna Fáil is this SSAA idea, which um, we know where that, that is the last time. 
Well, you've set out your stall there, I suppose. That's within the Fine Gael Manifesto. And obviously it's the name of the game to point holes in um, the other party's uh, plans. But there's things, I suppose, with, with Sinn Féin. You've, you've mentioned that they are looking to tax people's pensions. Mm. And you've highlighted that, that you said that's in the manifesto. But that actually isn't in the manifesto. One of the things you've also criticised them about is the 5% tax levy on those um, perhaps over 100 k but that was actually a promise that Fine Gael also had, was it not, in their 2016 manifesto? So are there not, mm. is this not sort of where we're coming down to the end of days, where we're pointing out things that perhaps well, aren't the full truth? I would No, no. Um, just, just in relation to the, the manifesto in 2016, uh, that was a manifesto in which we were proposing to abolish the USC. Uh, so the 5% income levy wasn't a tax increase. Uh, what Sinn Féin is, you know, was, it was just that the very wealthy would continue to pay uh, um, a higher tax rate, but it wasn't a tax increase. What Sinn Féin it was promising. never brought in. No, um, and we didn't uh, have the votes um, to do as much as we would have liked to have done on tax in the last couple of years. We did reduce tax on USC uh, and increased wages, um, would have done more, uh, but we were constrained by uh, Fianna Fáil and by independents who didn't want to cut taxes as much as we did, and that's the truth of it, and, and they will confirm that, actually. <laughs> in fact, they boast about it. Um, but the stronger Fine Gael is in the next government, the more we'll be able to do for middle-income people, uh, and our real project there is to make sure that people don't have to pay that highest rate of income tax until they hit 50,000 because too many middle-income people um, are losing half the money they make in overtime or increments or pay rises or promotions uh, in tax and that's not, not fair. Um, on Sinn Féin, it's on 100, page 110 of their manifesto uh, is, is their is their 57% top, top tax rate. Um, we don't think that's a good idea uh, because um, we do a lot of work uh, talk to the IDA, talk to IBEC, a lot of work trying to attract um, foreign direct investment and well-paid jobs into Ireland, not just into Dublin, but in particularly trying to get them into provincial towns around the country. We won't get those jobs. That talent will go to England instead. It's a gift to Boris and Brexit uh, for us to have a top tax rate of 57%. And on the issue of Sinn Féin... Um uh, just if, on the pension contribution thing, it is there too. It's 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 also on on page one hundred and ten. But they're murky about it. They talk about reducing the standard funds threshold uh, to one point two million, um, and they put a figure against it of four hundred and ninety four million. But the only way they get that figure, and it's in their own documents, uh, is by um, uh, um, making pension contributions taxable. Um, and we produced all. We, I can give mm-hmm. you pages and pages on this, but uh, it, it is all on Sinn Fein, um, particularly. If if Finnegall does well, um, well enough in this election, and Sinn Fein does better than except, expected, and the idea is floated of a Finnegall Sinn Fein coalition, which I know you have said no to already. But if that idea was floated, would you be minded to go back to your party? perhaps out of some sort of Ardesh, to put that question to them. Can you ever see that uh, that coming into reality? Uh, no, and I can't. And, uh, you know, the party is unequivocal about this, as I am, uh, that we won't entertain a coalition with Sinn Féin for reasons we've explained. There's like uh, Serena, Regina Doherty who has said in interviews that she would be willing to work with them. Uh, yeah, but that's not the same thing. Um, you know, I'm willing to work with them too, and I have uh, in Northern Ireland and on Brexit, and we will work with them on issues. Um, the only people who are talking about going into government with them, uh, into coalition, uh, are Fianna Fáil TDs all over the country. And it's clear to me what's happening here. And you've said that Micheál Martin will, if push comes to shove, will go in with them. Well, I think he has to, um, if push comes to shove, because this is his third time 
uh, leading Fine Gael, or leading Fianna Fáil, uh, into a general election. It's his last chance to be Taoiseach. Um, there might be a merry dance for a few weeks and months before it happens, uh, but I believe he would do it. Uh, and he's already getting signals from all over the country, uh, from his TDs, that they're up for this. I'm getting the opposite, um, which is no way. Uh, don't even entertain this. Uh, so Fianna Fáil is divided on this. Uh, my party is united that we would... Um, rather go into opposition than help Sinn Féin enter government. So who's more palatable then for you if you had to choose? You had Fianna Fáil on one hand, Sinn Féin on <laughs> the other. You well, I think I've answered that. Um, Fianna Fáil is the way you would well, go. Well, uh, my preference, of course, uh, is is a coalition with people we've worked with in the past, like Labour and Independents, and people I think we could work in, in, with in the future, like Greens and maybe Social Democrats. Um, uh, but I have said uh, that... Uh, in a last resort scenario, in order to avoid an unnecessary second election, that we'd be willing to work with Fianna Fáil in those circumstances. And um, I think that would be the responsible thing to do. And Not desirable, but... Fianna Gael are putting out a few things on social media as well. Um, there's been some criticisms of a number of videos, but one thing I, I saw a tweet there about um, social issues, you know, the marriage referendum, divorce referendum, and a lot of replies underneath saying that that actually wasn't Fianna Gael's doing at all. Are you annoyed that the party doesn't get credit for some of those things that you're claiming uh, happened under your watch? Well, let's look at the facts. Um, those referendums um, passed because the majority of people voted for them. Um, but those referendums wouldn't have happened uh, had it not been for the fact that uh, Fine Gael-led governments uh, decided to put those questions to the people. You know, we set up the Constitutional Convention and the Citizens' Assembly, um, and on foot of their recommendations, uh, we passed uh, a law which allowed people to have their say on those issues. Labour would say that a lot of those ideas came from their mind when they were in government and were put on the agenda. Uh, and they'd be right, uh, particularly when it comes to marriage equality, because it was a Fine Gael Labour government uh, that put that referendum to the people. Um, the key ministers involved in that, by the way, were Francis Fitzgerald uh, and Alan Shatter. Um, Francis Fitzgerald is the justice minister. Um, but yes, uh, you know, uh, we can share a degree of credit with the Labour Party for that and with independents like Catherine Zappone for the referendum on the Eighth Amendment. Um, but I want to pay tribute, of course, to all of those grassroots organisations uh, that led the demand for the referendum in the first place and led the campaign for a yes vote. But does it, um, does but, it but let, annoy let, you? But let there be no mistake, these referendums would not have happened. Had the does it annoy you? I suppose that those issues don't seem to be materialising for you on the doorsteps in terms of they're not in people's memory, perhaps, when they're going to the polls. Do you know what? It, it, it doesn't annoy me because, you know, I'm, I'm a realist about politics. And uh, generally, when it comes to elections, people want to focus on the problems of now and what are your solutions for the future. Um, and I want to do that too. Uh, but I think it's reasonable for us to remind people um, where we've come from. Uh, the enormous economic progress we've made in recent years, the social change that we've made in recent years, and also to remind people that, you know, we could actually go backwards if we make the wrong choice on Saturday. If this turns out to be a terrible election for Fine Gael, going back to the early 2000s, will you still be leading the party? And would you be able to say that by the end of this year, you're not going to be in some top job in Europe, as a lot of people are speculating. <laughs> well, first, first of all, um, uh, you know, first of all, that's not going to happen. Uh, the opinion polls are within the margin of error. We're all within 
5% of each other. Um, and I believe we'll emerge as the largest party after this election. Uh, but to answer your hypothetical question, if that's not the case, uh, and if we're in opposition, um, I will seek to continue to lead my party. Uh, and assuming I'm elected as a TD in Dublin West, um, I'll continue to represent the good people of Dublin 15 and Dublin 7 who've trusted me with their with their vote. Uh, I have not ever been offered any of these wonderful jobs in Europe that people speculate about, and I don't think any of them are available until 2024 anyway, so... There might be a few Brexit ones, perhaps, <laughs> towards the end of the year, who knows. But I want to fire ahead with some of the questions that we have gotten in from readers. And um, one here is in relation to first-time buyers and um, some of the concerns around that. Hi, my name is Stephen from Balbriggan. My question to Leo would be, why is it that every time we have a general election that all the parties will do something for first-time buyers but don't really help people looking to move? We have a two-bed house in Balbriggan that you know we're looking to move on from because our families after growing um but yet the banks have been very stringent with the likes of stamp duty and we're actually getting penalized for having a child in in daycare i suppose more than anything another thing i'd like to know is why is the government not speaking and monitoring the building developments more closely and asking builders to justify why each phase of the development jumps by so much in price they secure all their price and their materials at the start of the bill, but yet they can still jump it by 30, 40 grand in some cases. Yeah, I think it's it's a very good question and a very fair point and um, one that actually hasn't come up on the campaign, campaign trail much, but it's one that I'd be aware of, you know, because there are people in my own sort of peer group who bought, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years ago and are bringing up a young family in, a, in an apartment and would like to move to a house or somewhere bigger. Um, um, I, I suppose you do have to target your supports and we do target it towards people who don't have their own home yet. Uh, and that's why we've put so much effort into um, the help to buy scheme and why we want to improve it. Uh, what can we do for people like Stephen and Mulbriggan? Um I guess one of the things we can do is to, uh, as much as possible, put pressure on banks to reduce their interest rates. They are coming down a bit, but not by enough. And we do. Sinn Féin have said that if they were in government, they would put a lot of pressure on the central bank to do something about that. Do you well, think more pressure could be put on from, or, or what way hmm. do you see that working? I think Sinn Féin are promising something that can't be done. Uh, and there's an element of um, Michael Martin doing that too. Um, but he, although you turned on it, um, you know, you can't actually pass a law uh, or tell the central bank uh, what to do when it comes to interest rates. Uh, that just isn't possible, um, either under European, particularly under European law, where central banks are, are independent. Um, but I think one of the things that we can do uh, um, through the Rebuilding Ireland Home Loan in particular, uh, which is a long-term interest rate of less than 3% for 25 years, uh, is by putting those products out there and making them more available. That then puts pressure on banks uh, to come up with uh, more affordable uh, mortgages and more long-term mortgages. And on the issue of rents particularly, is it, you know, looking at the manifesto, um, it, it seems very much steady as she goes with rebuilding Ireland. There isn't that much being thrown at it in terms of thinking outside the box, perhaps ideas in terms of cost rental. Mm. I think I've asked you this before, that there was just a brief mention of it and some plans in the future to, to roll that out more. Affordable housing as well. There's been some criticisms of remarks that you made on the Sean O'Rourke show saying that there'd be 2,000 affordable homes in the next couple of years. But what people are probably looking for some real commitments mm. on those. Um, can you give any sort of definitive 
um, promises on where Fine Gael, um, you know, is on that, those issues. Yeah, like we're, this is something we're already doing. Uh, the first cost rental project is already underway uh, on the Enniscary Road and the next one is due on Emmett Road. It's important you get these things right. Um, it's very easy for parties to say, um, you know, we'll build 10,000 or 20,000 cost rental homes and not even have done a pilot, not even... You but know, the pilot was only done in September 2019. Should that not have been done five years ago? Uh, lots of things should have been done five years ago, but the country was broke. And we shouldn't forget that. We spent the first six years in government... Um, getting the country back to work, putting our public finances back in order and restoring our national pride and sovereignty. Uh, so the kind of major investment in housing and healthcare that should have happened years ago was only possible in the past two or three years. So cost rental is already underway. Um, it, if it works, we'll expand it uh, and do a lot more of it. Uh, affordable schemes are already underway as well. There's one, for example, I turned the sod on uh, only a few weeks ago in Cork and I think it's in Boer Boy, it's there on the north side of Cork. Um, the 2000 figure was... A response to a particular question about a particular scheme that we agreed with Fianna Fáil uh, in one of the budgets. Um, but what's in our manifesto is 60,000 um, uh, new social housing over the next five years and at least 10,000 affordable uh, And is €1,200 rent affordable in the mindset of Fine Gael for rent? Well, yeah, I, I don't know what you mean by, by the mindset of Fine Gael. Um, obviously, the affordability of somebody's rent and the affordability of somebody's mortgage depends on their income and is therefore different for everyone. Um, but what is unquestionable is that rents uh, are too high uh, in Ireland, uh, particularly in Dublin, but also uh, across the country. You know, house prices have leveled off, but they're still 20% lower than they were when they peaked under Fianna Fáil. Rents are actually never, never been higher. So there's something seriously wrong there. Uh, and Some of the rent pressure zones as well from that recent daft report are, are way above the 4%. Um, meant you know they're, they're only meant to rise four mm. percent. I think there's a number in Dublin seven, Dublin five, which are up nearly oh, seven or eight percent uh, from quarter to quarter from last year. That must be a concern. Yeah, bear in mind that the way the rent pressure zones work, and that's it's for you know existing properties and existing tenancies, and uh, that means that uh, the rent can only go up between zero and four percent a year uh, in existing property. Um, what Excuse the figures is the fact that there are now a lot of new properties coming uh, on board, um, and they don't obviously they're being rented for the first time. So 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 that's that, that's that's what affects those those um, uh, those those figures and skews them a bit. What's also encouraging with the DAFT report is the increase in the number of rental properties available because fundamentally the way we stabilise rents and as you mentioned that report shows for the first time in seven years rents in Ireland uh, not everywhere in Ireland but in Ireland as a whole are falling. Um, the way you get rents to stabilise and the way you get them down, in my view and our view, is more supply. Uh, and that's happening uh, and it needs to happen faster and we're going to do everything we can to accelerate it. What could make things worse um, are um, policies like rent freezes, uh, which some parties are supporting. Uh, we know from cities like Berlin, for example. But that hasn't even been started in mm. Berlin. There are a lot of people that said that should be constitutionally checked in terms of saying that that's, uh, that could be challenged in the courts and could we not just go ahead with it and see if it works and then if it doesn't, pull it. Yeah, but look at what's happened in Berlin. Um, even the announcement that there was going to be rent freezes brought in uh, caused investors, finance houses, builders, all of the people who you need to build new housing saying, we're not going to do this. We're going to build hotels instead. We're going to build 
commercial buildings instead. We're not going to do this. And what was the effect? It freezes out people who need to rent for the first time. Um, students, migrants, people uh, who are living at home and need to rent for the first time. Um, and also where you do bring in rent freezes in other cities, you see a whole kind of black economy, a sort of a grey economy of people who have a rent controlled apartment or house and they then sublet it to someone else for cash. You know, rent controls are not, a, are not, rent freezes are not a substitute for the actual solution, which is more supply. Supply has doubled since 2016. Um, I believe we can double it again. I'm just wary of time. So I want to press on a few more questions from our readers. Um, this one is in relation to cervical check. Hi, Christina. Um, thanks so much for giving me this opportunity. I'm a nurse and I have to say I'm very disappointed, Leo. Um, I suppose as a nurse, I'm an advocate for my patients. And personally, he promised the cervical smear ladies whose results were misread no issue in the courts for compensation. However, they're now in the courts looking for compensation for their families when they are gone. They should be at home spending time with their loved ones. I feel he has left his own profession down as a doctor and has only given us empty promises. I will not be voting Fine Gael for this reason. A promise is a promise as a health professional. Answer that, Leo. Very disappointed. Noel from Cork. Some tough words, mm. I would suppose, to hear from yourself. I know you've said that that was one of the lowest points in your political career, but what would you have to say to that voter? Well, I, I think the whole cervical check issue has been a real... Uh, a real tragedy um, and a really difficult one to uh, to get right. Um, my objective uh, has been to uh, make sure that some good has come out of this uh, whole scandal. And you'll know, for example, in a few weeks' time, we'll move to the new uh, system of uh, testing, which is much more accurate. One of the first countries to do so, the primary HPV testing. That has been delayed, though. It has, but delayed and will now happen. It'll happen uh, in March, only two two months away. Um, and to date reasons, not in our control, not political reasons. Uh, we've also brought in the HPV vaccine for boys, which is a big step forward. Um, uh, so, and we're also bringing in uh, patient safety legislation, uh, which will help prevent things like this happen in the future. In terms of people having to go to court, uh, we've set up a tribunal, which is an alternative option, um, so that women who are taking a case against the laboratories or uh, even against the state, but generally they're against the laboratories, um, don't have to go to court and can go through a tribunal in instead, which means that it can be held in private if they want. It'll be fast-tracked. The judges will have ac access to uh, their own experts. Um, but I know that's not perfect. Um, but the real problem is, and, you know, perhaps I didn't understand this well enough at the time, is that when there is a dispute about the facts, what do you do? Uh, some cases are clear-cut. Um, they can be settled uh, without the need for a protracted legal process, but sometimes they're not clear-cut uh, and there's a dispute about whether or not. Uh, do you regret making those promises? Um, what, what I, well, yes. Uh, what I said, um, I suppose, came... And, you know, I thought it came from the heart um, and, uh, you know, I didn't want to see uh, anybody having to go through uh, a court process in order to get compensation. Um, you know, I did talk about with, about the, with the Attorney General at the time uh, and it wasn't something I just said out the top of my head. Uh, we honestly believe that it would be possible to settle most cases by mediation or negotiation. Actually, most have. Uh, only one case uh, has gone fully through uh, the courts and that's now on appeal. Um, but what I didn't appreciate properly at the time 
uh, was that uh, where there's a dispute over whether or not there was negligence or a dispute about how much damages should be awarded, there's no way to resolve that other than some sort of um, legal process. Yeah. And that's, 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 that's the truth. And, you know, I hear where that caller is coming from, but there is no government that can change that sad fact and reality. Another uh, reader who is also a nurse got in touch with us. Hi, my name is Emma White from Shankill County, Dublin, and my question is regarding the health service crisis and how every party has promised to address this crisis by recruiting more nurses and midwives. This has been promised, and from one source that I read, they've so far managed to recruit 51 new nurses. How do they intend to hire enough nurses when they won't increase the wage to be in line with other healthcare professionals such as physiotherapists and speech and language therapists and continue this recruitment pause that they deny is happening? This will not get better without enough staff, but no matter how many nurses they promise to hire, I want to know how they'll actually get them to stay here when paying conditions are so much better nearly anywhere else. What will they change? Because everything so far has failed. Yeah, there's a couple of things there. And just want to say once again, um, uh, and to send my thanks to all of our healthcare professionals who work on our health service and do uh, a really good job. Uh, doctors, nurses, therapists, support staff, all of them. Um, we actually have rec- recruited more nurses and midwives. Um, don't have the figures on me now, but uh, the number of nurses and midwives has gone up considerably. And on the issue of the moratorium, years. I know it's a contentious one in the mm. doll from time to time. Opposition saying there is one. Fine Gael and the government saying that there isn't one health managers being told that they have to live within their budget. Yeah, there isn't a moratorium. Um, there are 115,000 people now working in our public health service um, more than ever before, and there will be more hired this year. So that's not a moratorium. A moratorium is when you can't hire anyone and the numbers go down as a result. That's not happening. Uh, what is happening for the first time is uh, health managers um, can only recruit and fill posts that are funded. And that should have always been the case. You know, if you're a school principal, you can't hire a teacher if, if, you, if you don't have an allocation for one. Um, if you're running your local Garda station, you can't just hire a Garda, you know. And there was a bit of a, a bit of laxity in the way the health service was managed in the past uh, when it came to recruitment. That led to a lot of overruns. Uh, and the new HSE board and the new CEO uh, is saying that you can only hire people for posts that are approved and funded. Um, but it's not a moratorium. Uh, and if there was a moratorium, you wouldn't see 115,000 people working on health service today more than ever before and more staff being hired. On the issue of nurses' pay, you know, we, we had a strike last year. Um, we have an agreement with the nursing unions uh, for a new contract, a new Sláinte Care-based contract uh, that increases pay for nurses. So uh, that is being implemented at the, the moment. The issue of the public pay uh, in terms of teachers being paid different levels uh, of people doing the same job. We had a question in from a wife of a Defence Force um, officer who said that the defence forces has been the life has been sucked out of it in terms of the pay. It, it's a huge issue in terms of getting nurses, doctors, teachers, and those soldiers paid what they feel they are worth. Hmm. Yeah, we, you know, pretty much everyone at the moment in in Ireland is having recruitment challenges, not just the government but also the private sector, and that is a feature uh, of full employment. Uh, take the defence forces, for example, where recruitment is going well, but retention is not going well. Um, back in 2013 or 2014, uh, when pay was much lower, uh, it was easier to retain uh, staff because there weren't as many opportunities in the private sector. Um, but when it comes to the whole issue of equal pay scales, and you'll know that public servants, defence forces, teachers, lots of others recruited after 2011, 2012 are on, are on a different pay scale, um, I am 100% in favour 
of having equal pay scales. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, the existing agreement that we have with the trade unions, uh, I think goes about 70 or 80% of the way there. That will be up for renegotiation this year with the new government. Um, and if the unions want to make that their first priority, uh, we will do that. Uh, and in our manifesto, we've set aside uh, 2 billion to do, a, to do a new pay deal with the public sector unions when the new government takes office. Uh, Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil have provided zero. Um, they say it's unwise to tell the unions how much you might have available, but they've made nothing available. So I don't know where they're going to find that money. Are they going to cut something? They won't say. Or do they have a secret tax they haven't told us about? I don't know. Like We're actually the only major party that is saying to the public sector unions um, that we want to finish the job of reversing FEMPI uh, and we have a pot of money and it's there to be negotiated over. And if you want equal pay scales to be the priority, then we'll do it. On the issue of quality of life for people um, in society, the issue of childcare had come up from one of our readers in terms of child benefit. Would it not be better to increase that to allow people, um, you know, rather than put it to outside sources of the, the childcare sector? We have a strike on today. Why have we not moved towards a national childcare centre um, system run by the state, which is something that other uh, parties have said would be a far better um, outcome for people rather than paying, as you said, large amounts of money equivalent to their mortgage repayment to private providers? Um, well, we have done a lot of things. You know, we have the DHA, you know, two years of pre- free preschool uh, and um, we're going to extend that from 38 weeks to 42 weeks if re-elected. We've brought in the National Child Care Scheme uh, and you know that involves subsidies for uh, parents. Um, universal subsidies for kids between six months and three years, uh, means test the ones after that. And uh, in our plan, we'll increase investment in childcare from 400 million to a billion. It's the biggest childcare plan of all the major parties, uh, or it's certainly bigger than Fianna Falls. Uh, so the subsidy would go up to about 100 euros a week. Um, and more middle-income people qualify. So I think we have a good offering when it comes to childcare. Uh, to answer your question about why we don't have a, a publicly provided system like we have for primary school, for example, um, that could be done. Uh, and I certainly think it's worthy, worthy of consideration. But bear in mind what it involves. Um, either you'd have to nationalise and CPO uh, all or a lot of the creches in the country. Uh, you'd have to turn all the staff into public servants and negotiate contracts with them. Um, uh, and uh, or you'd have to set up the whole thing from scratch and lay them all off, presumably, and I don't know what would happen with all the crashes that are there now. But certainly you would be talking tens or hundreds of millions um, being spent not on childcare, but on compensating the crash owners who you'd be CPOing. Would it not be worth um, to look at? Certainly worth looking at, but if any parent wants anything done in the next three years, <laughs> that's not going to do much for them. You know, I, I, I know a bit about this from the primary care centres. Uh, we now have 120 primary care centres uh, operating uh, around the country and the, the, the cost and the job of work to get GPs in, in, out of their old practices and into those primary care centres. I'm glad we did it and it's good we have them. But any parent who's looking for anything practically done for them, you know, in the next three years, uh, nationalisation of childcare and public childcare might work for a kid you don't have yet, <laughs> but for kids you actually have now, uh, our offering is much better. So after Saturday now, um, when the results come in, will you be uh, sitting side by side, do you think, one day with Micheál Martin? In, in, in government? Well, I, cert I certainly hope not. Uh, you know, my objective is to uh, lead a new government um, involving 
some of those smaller parties I mentioned earlier. Um, and I hope that's what the people decide to do on 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 on, on Saturday. I'm really really loving this job. Uh, I feel I'm only getting started. Uh, I believe I and my party have a lot more to offer. Um, we know what we have done in the past couple of years isn't enough. Um, we do want to build on that. Uh, but I fear that uh, the progress that we have made could be jeopardised uh, if we allow uh, Fianna Fáil or Sinn Féin to lead the next government. Tisha Gleave Radker, thank you so much for coming into the journal.ie today. Thank you. Many thanks to Leo Radker for joining us today. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Candidate with me, Christina Finn. We appreciate you sending in your questions and apologise if we didn't get to include yours. We'll be putting your questions to other party leaders in the coming days. If you'd like to listen back to our interview with our party leaders we've met so far, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced and co-edited by Laura Byrne and Nikki Ryan. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts, and we'd love if you shared it with a friend you think would enjoy it. See you next time.